the Frontline Gaming Network presents the Kill Zone Podcast. The Kill Zone Podcast. With your hosts, Miranid 40K, Sheldon from Kill Team Stream, and Emmanuel from Strategic Advantage. Tournament news, tactics, and strategy. Tune in every week to hear real talk for competitive Kill Team. Get ready to enter the Kill Zone. Like the intro just said, you have entered the Kill Zone. Welcome back, returning listeners, and those of you new to the podcast, this is Bearded 40K, and I'm joined by Emmanuel Mitsunikos from Strategic Advantage. Hey, everyone. And the big TO in charge of many major U.S. Kill Team tournaments, Sheldon Steer, also known as Kill Team Street. Hey. <laughs> We've got a great show for you guys. Starting off, we'll dive into the age-old question, to netlist or not to netlist, the pros, the cons, and pitfalls, perhaps, of letting somebody else do the hard work for you. After that, we'll talk about a key difference in playing Kill Team that separates the good players from the really great ones. And that's making the transition from knowing the rules to using the rules. I know this sounds a little bit like semantics, but trust us. This makes a lot more sense once we get into it. So stay tuned because the Kill Zone podcast is coming your way right after we pay some bills with these messages. Get ready, Kill Team, for the biggest event in the history of the game, the Kill Team Open, February 19th through 20th at the Marriott Waterfront in the beautiful Baltimore Inner Harbor. This event will be a celebration of the Kill Team community, completely focused on the game of Kill Team and all its players. Featuring a 64-player major tournament over two days, streamed live by Kill Team Stream with celebrity commentators Glacial Geek and Squad Tactica. For more casual players, we've got the ultra-chill Kill Team After Dark on Saturday night, followed by a massive Spec Ops narrative event on Sunday to unleash your inner role player. For hobbyists in our community, we've got six incredible workshops with three amazing instructors covering topics from painting non-metallic metals all the way to kit bashing. This event will also be the international premiere of the Squad Goals Painting Competition, organized by by Mike and Dan of the Listening to Paint Dry podcast. We've got it all. Free catered lunch day one for championship players, swag bags, raffles, open play tables, discounted hotel rates, and more. None of it would be possible without the support of over two dozen sponsors and vendors we have on board right now. Check it out at killteamopen.com and get your tickets before they're gone. You don't want to miss this event. All right, and we're back. So coming in here, you know, before we get started, I just kind of wanted to ask, you know, touch base with you guys, see how you were doing this week. You know, so is there anything you're building? Is there any recent games? I guess maybe you'll start off with Mr. Emmanuel. Well, uh, I was a good grot this year. Um, <laughs> I know that's something we forgot to talk about, I guess. <laughs> Christmas, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Here, uh, for, for those of us listening to us in the near future, uh, this is recorded shortly after Christmas time and here in the States, I guess everywhere. Yeah. Well, I guess... We open on the 25th, there's Boxing Day and all that kind of stuff um, over in the motherland of Warhammer, but uh, my niece has got my number, and uh, she must have been peering in on our previous recording because I got a whole box of Chaos Space Marines, and right after I was getting very excited about those conversions we were talking about, what I was, uh, what I was brewing, um, I immediately started building out the rest of the team, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and then my wife got me a noise marine and I'm in a very difficult position because I want to hack it up and make it a, a goth rocka, but <laughs> the noise marine is so cool. He really is. And the hair is on a different sprue, or is on a different, uh, different bit on the sprue. 
Yeah, I um, I've actually pirated that head twice for different Space Wolf builds. Uh, I love <laughs> it. That head is perfect, man. Oh, it is very Space Wolfy. You're right. Like the big, you just paint it orange, and then there you go. <laughs> That's perfect. It's kind of like a mane or something, right? Like mm -hmm. this big old spike. It's like he killed something and, you know, made a crest for his helmet. It's pretty. Yeah, and it comes not with a tactical rock, but a tactical loyalist head. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Sheldon? What you been up to? Yeah, I was uh, not as uh, lucky in terms of Games Workshop models as a manual, but I did get some lighting for my, uh, uh, you know, display cabinet from my uh, mom, which was awesome, as well as a yeah, cool... Yeah, I saw those photos. I oh, mean, yeah. I've seen those in the background so many times on video, um, but they pop so much. I did not realize how nice those displays were. Oh, man, I'm so excited with the lighting. I think it's going to be really cool. Um you know, it's just like right when you walk into my house, you get to see all my Warhammer kill teams <laughs> on display. And then, uh, yeah, she also got me a green screen for when I'm doing uh, streaming at tournaments. I can actually be in the corner, you know, doing the commentating and stuff. So that's going to be awesome. Um, oh, that's as, awesome. Yeah. that's uh, That was my Christmas haul. I also uh, <laughs> um, been working on, I just got a... Uh, one of those limited edition Necron overlords that they had, the celebration one, and uh, been putting him together, doing a little kit bashing as I like to do. <laughs> now I have an extra Jay Leno uh, Necron uh, head. <laughs> if, if you need another Jay Leno one, and for the uninitiated, there's, I think it's a Chronomancer. Uh, he's got a chin for miles. Oh, I see what you're saying now. <laughs> I didn't get it for a second. I thought it was like a 3D modeled one or something. I was like, I was well, like, oh, they... now we need that. We need a very, very talented listener to 3D model you a Jay Leno <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What about you, Bjornid? What have you been up to? Uh, just uh, prepping, starting to look at LVO stuff. Um, my Christmas gifts, uh, as funny as it is, is uh, I, I said I didn't really want anything. I wanted uh, to be able to display it, which is funny because you were just talking about yeah, displays yourself. Um, I'm trying to make a closet that is currently full of crap become a display case for the Gene Steeler Colts and Tyranids and all that stuff, and then have a way to pop it out or whatever through the door that's covering it and have that become a kind of backdrop to film on so that I don't have to do as much editing to actually make videos. Oh, oh man, like that's idea. awesome! So, like on like uh, on uh, like shelves that'll kind of uh, pull out, kind of well, thing, or I'm actually fine if they're not pull out. I just want the door to be able to move out so that I can sit in oh, front of it and gotcha. have it be, you know, a backdrop or whatever. I think it'd be kind of cool, double as storage, uh, and finally, because like all my stuff lives in seven different places right now, you know, mm -hmm. depending on what it is, and and they're all in different states and. Uh, bits of build and construction and painted, not painted, bare plastic, primed. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it'll be kind of cool and also a motivation to finally get some hobbying done. Um, because like having a sick Tyranid swarm, like all behind <laughs> would just be so neat, you know? Oh, and I got man. the 3D printer so I can work on my desert cultists, have like Talarn conversion stuff. So just, I don't know, excited for it. I do have to admit that my uh, display that I created was like the biggest impetus for me to actually finish my Necrons and work on them. Like seeing them on display was like, oh, I, I see them every day. Now I got to paint them, you know? 
Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like you get inspired, right? But when there's this barrier to entry, so to speak, for like you got to set things up, take this out. Where did I leave this thing again? All that stuff. It just kind of sucks it out of you, I think. Uh, what do you think, Emmanuel? Yeah, the the inertia from not hobbying to hobbying has to be minimal for me because if I break through that inertia, it's I'll, I'll be doing it for hours, but it's like that two minutes of inconvenience to get started <laughs> sometimes is enough to, to break me away from it. But the biggest project that I had that really motivated me to get a ton of uh, models done, sequence after sequence, or uh, team after team after team, was my small wall diorama, where I needed to have all the shelves of this uh, this display case filled out. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. So having the displays, uh, it's, a, it's a great motivator. I think you're going to really enjoy that, Chris. Yeah, it's also just kind of neat, you know, because like you only get so much hobby time. And so mm -hmm. when that time also now has to be divided into setup, you know, finding things, whatever, tracking things down, uh, it just eats into it, right? So it mm -hmm. just means less painting or whatever gets done at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few people in our local club that uh, have uh, young kids and they barely hobby because they have to pack up everything after each session. And with all the kit bashing I do, I mean, if kids kids happen in the future, <laughs> an orc's, orc head's going right up a nose if oh, I'm no. not careful. So <laughs> <laughs> there'll have to be solutions for hobby space then. Otherwise, I, I might not even paint, as scary as that sounds. Okay, so let's talk about the meat and potatoes of today's episode. You know, I think this is going to be a really cool thing because we're talking about a deep dive into the age-old question like we talked about, two netlist, two not netlist, pros, cons, what even is it? Um, you know, what can be good about it? What can be wrong about it? And I think that there's a lot that can be said on this. Um, you know, I've done my time as attorney grinder, things like that. And I'm almost wondering if it's better for me to reserve this you know, save to the end if I should just like open a can of worms because it's it's almost like I've got so much to say on it. I'm almost worried that it could get kind of out of hand because I see 100% <laughs> both ways, right? Like the people that are against it, you know, people have very good reasons for what they're saying and people that are for it. And I've done it and I've been victim of it. I've seen it work. <laughs> I've seen it implode on somebody. It's just like, I can just go off on this stuff for days. So I don't know, maybe somebody else take the reins. Yeah, yeah, I, I could start off on a little bit of my ideas on it because, um, well, netlisting, just to define it for those who might not understand what we mean, it's not building your team on your own, it's looking at what someone else has done. And, and you see this a lot, a lot with um, in the Reddit space and a lot on uh, discords where you'll have people saying, how do I, how do I X? What do I bring? What's better? Etc, etc. And the the, the reason why there's such a draw is pretty much just what you just said, that hobby time is limited. Models can be expensive too. And if you have finite time and finite decisions to make, there's a lot of this fear of making the wrong decision with the models. Or if your finite time is leading up to a tournament, you wanna make sure that you have enough time, enough time to make the right decisions to get the models you need ready for tournament. Yeah, and it's also, you know, just quickly to your point, um, I have built lists when I was new to the hobby that it turned out it was like, this sucks, right? And, and <laughs> Warhammer is not a cheap uh, kind of a thing to get into, you know, a, a nice little hobby to get into. And it really, it hurts because especially in the beginning, 
you're not proxying things and trying things out a lot of times like oh i'm gonna run my plastic gray things you know it's like you see online all these beautifully painted models yeah so before you go to that game store you're all intimidated and you come in with like every eye has the dot and everything <laughs> you know every belt buckle on that orc is is painted in and then you're like oh no this is so unoptimal that um, it's just oh, like no. dead in the water i brought three burners yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I what mean, do you think about that, Sheldon? Well, I think like when it comes to net listing, you know, you have to be cognizant of what the uh, goal is you're trying to achieve with the net list. You know, like I think there's two different like like dichotomies here where you have like maybe someone who's brand new to the game just looking up something that they can, you know, make for their first game. You know, like which was definitely how i entered the game you know i googled uh, what's what's a list for necrons you know how do i how do i play kill team you know like and uh so i had to really like look into it that that way before i could even like feel comfortable and safe to go into uh, uh, uh lgs and and uh actually sit down and play a game with the team that i love you know so i definitely think for beginners it's a really cool um you know stepping stone into playing the game you know now and that that's a really good point for beginners it's a good place to get started and um i I don't think net listing is a bad thing to first look into but when you when you flip the coin and you go from beginner to tournament prep right and i want to just get the list that oh you ran commandos i want to run commandos at this tournament what was your list give list give list (laughs) (laughs) that thing i I just got that comment yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's we're not lying here, but um, there's so much more to just the models on the table that matter for something like a war game. If you take something like Magic: The Gathering, yeah, there's some tactics and how you play a standard deck and stuff like that. But number one, it's very easy to throw a bunch of cards together. Granted, if they're not expensive cards, sure. But <laughs> you put the cards together and then you sell the cards if they don't work, right? Um, but for models to get them to hobby them up to get them ready, um, there's all of that barrier to getting ready with those models to play at a tournament. So, um, d- my point got away from me. Oh, yes, um, in tournament prep, though, you can't just like put a deck of cards together, play a couple games, and be like, oh, yeah, I get what this deck does for like Magic the Gathering. Yeah, um, a net list doesn't just win you the game. If you want to go down the route of a net list and just look at what's done well, what models, what what composition, what tack ops do well, you still need to put in the time to learn how to execute on that. Um, It's a very interesting thing that Chris mentioned to me when we were talking about X-Wing over a year ago. And one thing that you mentioned about X-Wing that is so true for especially Kill Team 2, but uh, to a certain degree Kill Team 1 as well, um, aside from the fact that Kill Team 1 had a lot of winning in the list building side, but we're not going to talk about Kill Team 1 here. <laughs> but um, the thing that you always liked about X-Wing is that you could have a great list, but it did not matter if you couldn't pilot it. And it is so important in X-Wing, and I think it's really important in Kill Team 2. And it's getting those reps in with a net list that I think is a lot more important than just taking the roster that won a local or won a major and just saying, okay, this is gonna take me to podium, right? And what's interesting is that sometimes it can, right? There Mm -hmm. are moments where um, if somebody's unaware, if you had prior knowledge or something, you know, back before pre-quarantine days, um, especially, 
where there wasn't the TTS things uh, going on as much. Um, you were able to catch people a little bit more and I still think that there are some things out there you know things can move really fast if you weren't really prepared for it they can catch you sometimes there there is a thing about being just a good player um, that can kind of solve some of the things but depending on faction things like that and the balanced state of the game this edition is much better about it but last edition there were certain things that was just like okay I'm, a, I'm in a lot of trouble here you know based just on list and matchup and things which I think it's positive in the direction that it's moved this edition. But I was going to ask, you know, what do you guys think about we could maybe list some pros and then, you know, go on for a little bit. If there's anything else anybody has to say, you know, pro-wise, we'll do that. And then we just do cons. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why don't you start off with one of your pros? You had a you had a big, long list that you wanted to get started <laughs> with. So let's, let's think... kick it off, Chris. Okay. If, if I was going to say, you know, I think this is probably the most, most pro of the pro. Um, is that I think it fast tracks your growth as a player. Because if you have, and, and here's the thing, it's a weird thing because it can have a double-edged sword on it. If you can look at something that works, that has a proven track record and understand why it works and implement that and, and be able to use that effectively, I think that that helps you starting out. Um, there, I think that there is some validity to that. Uh, what do you think, Emmanuel? I mean, you don't have to rediscover calculus to learn calculus, right? And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. If someone's figured out a configuration, a formula that works, and if you understand the foundation and how to execute on that, then you can go ahead and, uh, and um, use a net list effectively. This is kind of it kind of segues into what my pro was, was you can definitely start ahead instead of having to go through the grind of figuring out how to put things together to work as long as you have that context. Time and time again, I get pinged in discords when someone asks about commandos or greenskins um, because I'm the resident commando or greenskin and or greenskin, depending on the day, right? Um, and. I find myself accidentally always giving like a full like how to play greenskins breakdown when anyone asks me, oh, what should I bring for greenskins? What's good? And it's always with an asterisk and subtext of this is why and this is how. And I catch myself doing this just knowing that how important that is, but someone who just looks on BCP, pays the sub and just looks at rosters, they're not going to get that context. So you can fall into that pitfall with a netlist unless you have that. Um, that knowledge of how that team is supposed to execute. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to let it become sort of like a crutch either, you know, where you're always falling back on on other people's work too, you know. There's definitely something to be said for for that creativity in the list building phase. I, I think with this new kill team, like it's a little interesting because there's like a a a, a level of limitation in terms of like the models that you can bring. But mm -hmm. there's so much, um, you know, in terms of like the equipment and the tech ops and all that stuff um, that I still think that there's a really kind of cool, like, you know, you can pull uh, those things off of maybe a pro player. But like when it comes down to like the, the you know, the, the, the models on the table, like we're kind of usually playing with like a similar model set, you know, table to table. And because of the fire teams, um, and, and, you know, the way that the Bespoke teams uh, work, you're kind of like 
almost like like your your net listing just in general these days, you know, compared to before where it was like, <laughs> you know, you had to go out of your way to put like 12 Marines into a roster to like figure it out. You know? <laughs> yeah, I also think, you know, it's just like when you're first starting out, so one of the things that you notice with a noob kind of right away, and I use that term very endearingly. I have no problem with people new to the hobby. And in fact, I encourage it. Um, but one of the telltale signs is... I call it being lost, a uh, Bambi lost in the wood without a mom. You know what I mean? So you see these guys sometimes without a plan in the early days. And a lot of times these net lists come with a standardized, almost like procedure of like, at least, even if it's not like a full army thing, which some things are, that's how the, the old Tau list that I did at Nova last, or the, the Nova online was, was very much the whole army. Sometimes it's this guy does this, 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 you know, big gun goes here. This is my strategy, you know, because you get to see where they're spending command points sometimes. Like if you listen to an interview and stuff like that. So it's, it gives you like this complete picture that, like I said, it just kind of fast tracks you a little bit in, in the gate. I feel like sometimes if you get a Very quality true. one and, you know, you're, you're in it for the right reasons, stuff like that. You are looking still at the mindset of growth, not just like take the money and run. Um, that there can be some positives to it, such as that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what about some cons? I got one. Okay. <laughs> um, lack of context for the list that you're netting. Um, can I say that? Does that is that sentence English? Um, yeah, yeah explain it for me. It makes, it makes sense to me, but you might want to help out yeah. people yeah. listening. So, help beer um, it out. I'm, you know, so yeah. had a couple beers. <laughs> Yes. Um, what was that? <laughs> so um, what I'm kind of alluding to is um, you might be bringing certain models. You might be leaning on certain equipment because of the environment that you're going to be playing that list. You're expecting this terrain. You're expecting this matchup. Um, you're expecting these gatekeepers. You're expecting... Um, you're, you're expecting these other players specifically that you know they're bringing certain things, right? So if you see a list that's on BCP and you just say, oh yeah, this, this one LVO 2022, fantastic, I'm gonna take this. Um, well, Chris, when they take your winning list, they're, they're gonna go take it to, their, um, to an Octarius playset and they're not, gonna, they're not gonna have the same terrain that you might have been using different models in a different way for on the ITC terrain. Um, or you might have been playing in this month that was pre-Gene Stealer Cults, and whatever the heck comes out with Gene Stealer Cults, now your list completely falls apart because of one dude on whatever the Gene Stealer January thing is gonna show, that's gonna completely dismantle the, the entire plan. So you can't run that list effectively in the tournament because you're gonna expect to see Gene Stealer Cults and there's no way you can podium when half of the people brought GSC end of January, right? Absolutely. And, you know, just to speak to your point, that exact kind of thing happened um, with the SoCal Open. The first year that it happened with the Kill Team Tournament, I took that Gene Stealer Colt um, Neophyte spam. And um, it did okay. And I got a message from somebody like, hey, I'm going to go run this. It's open board, you know, 125 or whatever it was. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute. So that was 100, not 125. It was arena, not open board. You know, it was such a specific context as to why that list works it was like no this is it's for doors it's for you know the, the ambush plus the vet move and this and that it's blocking them it's getting on points whereas like 
all those little five up saves, you know, one wound models or whatever, <laughs> were just gonna get melted. I was just like, ah, you, you're poor cultists. Don't do that to your cultists, man. <laughs> um, and it was actually, it kind of made me sad in a way because I don't think your average kill team player at that time had 18 neophytes, right? And so yeah. the concern for me was, did this guy just see what I did and go and buy, you know, 80 bucks worth of gonna fail? And that kind of, it, it, there was some feel bads on my end for that. So I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, fortunately, I mean, there's not that much variance to Kill Team 2 yet. Or unfortunately, as I'm saying in the presence of Sheldon, who has 80 arena <laughs> in his apartment right now but um don't get me started and this just kind of <laughs> uh this this just parallels back to what i'm saying about how it's so much harder to netlist for something like a war game especially like kill team um compared to mtg because if you netlist a standard list you're netlisting it for that season for a very specific game that has all of these matchups already and it's it's not going to change until the next release so you know it's safe not so much for for kill team uh for kill team 2 yeah and it's it's just you know for me right now the presence of vantage point in a dz might completely change things i might have eight oh, hormigons in the list right eight hormigons or 10 gene stealers or whatever completely shifts depending on the board state and things like that so if you know you could take a net list that is just not optimal for the board or whatever you know or like you said earlier the meta it just can shift so fast and you're not even necessarily aware when you're looking at that net list you know what maybe they took took in like various matchups you know what they maybe swapped out because of a specific thing that they saw on the opponent's list or something like that where like those kind of decisions are being made by the player uh, you know, who developed the list. Whereas, you know, if you're just taking the list, you might not have planned all that out. Like, for instance, uh, when I went to the Nova Open in 2019, I uh, saw Michael T. Holy win, you know, four <laughs> tournaments with the Eldar, and I was like, well, these guys look like they're unstoppable, so I'm just going to bring his list, you know? And I definitely, <laughs> I got so many situations where it was like, oh, I don't even know why he has these models on here you know w w what what game am i gonna bring these out in you know like and i i had you know the lucky ability of actually being able to talk to him and and kind of get his thoughts on different matchups and stuff but you know it was uh not something that people are going to generally have when it comes to a net list you know it's like you, that insider information into why this list works the way it does etc eldrad foresaw your your undoing <laughs> yes uh, but, you know, another thing on that, too, is you have no idea if something in that list is a red herring because we're talking roster. It doesn't have to actually function. And uh, I've talked, I'm not going to name names, but like, for example, uh, last ed, I asked uh, somebody from Spain, I said, what the heck? You know, after the competition, I said, what is this model doing in here? He goes, oh, that's just to, to make it, you know, so the other guy maybe musters expecting it or something like that. And it's like, dude, it had it had no intention of actually getting on the board. But if you're just kind of blindly netlisting, you could, you know, um, you could fall into that trap that was meant for the other player <laughs> on the other side of the board or something. Yeah, the mega knob on my roster for Kill Team 2018 was my red herring. I never, I never once took it. Mega knob's great; it just didn't fit my play style. But it made people worry about that, uh, about that uh, 
high save and I'm using very large <laughs> air quotes when I say high save. Everything's relative when you're talking about the orcs. But um, there is... Um, it wouldn't be a time of me talking about wargaming where I don't accidentally mention Legion. And the only <laughs> thing I'm going to say about Legion today is that um, there is a fantastic podcast called Legion Academy where I, I listened to them quite a bit um, when I was learning the game and kind of getting introduced to it. And they had a very, the perfect perspective on the whole concept of building a list or getting a list off of whether it's a tournament result or from a friend or something like that. It doesn't matter what you do, you gotta put the time in and you gotta get reps in. In the Legion community, they say you need about 20 games with a list in order for you to feel comfortable enough with that list to perform at a high level at a tournament. And I don't think that's far off for Kill Team. It took me probably about 15 to 20 games to finally start to to fly off with uh, with my commandos before all the different wheels were um, were falling into place. The cogs were falling into place. Um, so even if you netlist, you're gonna go up against a wall and play a bunch of games. You're gonna go through that growing pain that the author of that netlist did if you put in that time, and then it'll click. Ah, okay, that's what this guy's good at. If you didn't know that already and you just found the list, if you put that time in and you're a talented player, you're gonna figure that out. So whether you put the time in to make your own list or whether you take inspiration from a net list and maybe tweak it on your own, but at least start with a net list, it's not just take and win. You should still put in that time. Just a quick uh, aside uh, about earlier when you were talking about red herrings, I just uh, you know had to point out that sometimes the red herring can actually show up in the game and then like <laughs> nobody's prepared for that that's like the third option i remember one time i pulled out that crisis suit and uh that was the moment i realized like you know what this <laughs> it actually won me the game you know i was like okay this <laughs> you know this was yeah. just on there to you know have that roster red herring situation but it ended up being like the the tool that that won the game you know <laughs> yeah it's amazing how often i've had uh lists and stuff that I thought were just beautiful just get wrecked by a meme list, you know, that I just didn't count for. There's only so much room in the roster, right? You can only take so much. You're just like, ah, oh, this is the meta. Woo! I can beat these things. And it's like, okay, here's my, you know, weird uh, crew or something, you know? Uh, I don't know. Everything starts off as a meme, right? It's like, oh, here's 14 drones. Like, right? It's meta. <laughs> Um, just really quickly, I know we're running out of time. I just wanted to kind of spitfire some some rapid things just to kind of, you know, close out cons um, and then maybe give some space for you guys to do as well. So I would just say really quickly, um, one of the cons is the p potential for becoming over-dependent um, on netlists and not building creativity. I would say Ooh, creativity... Ooh, I like that. Creativity and nestle... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Creativity and list building, harder to say than it sounds, is a skill. <laughs> um, and, you know it's going to be useful to be able to see if something needs to come in or out of that, right? And if you're building lists, you will find that, I believe, quicker than if you're only netlisting. Sometimes maybe not at all if you're netlisting. I would say, like I said, it's a skill and um, the internet actually gives terrible advice. So you should really... Um, <laughs> Depends on the oh, color man. of the duck in the meme, right? Yeah. 
but I feel like I've got. You like, just added 20 minutes to this episode yeah, with that comment. As somebody who's on the internet uh, giving advice, I would say the internet actually gives terrible advice. One of them is, you know, Big 40K talking about, oh, this this model is, you know, just garbage. Don't really have time to get into it. And as the meta shifted to Drukari, I saw it as an amazing thing. I built it into my Tyranid list, and then suddenly was, you know, very early on taking some uh, decent things and some new blood tournaments against those lists. So it's just like. The internet will tell you this is garbage. They don't continually reevaluate that. They say this is garbage and it re- remains true. garbage. And you got to sometimes bring that back in. And just last but not least, I would say for a competitive player, this is for you guys that are competitive out there, I want you to consider that you could be coming in at the end of its lifespan. Okay, this is something that is, if you are hearing about it and you are saying, oh, I'm going to build a net list, are you the only person who's hearing about this? Or is the entire planet, everybody at LVO, whatever, planning oh holy crap i gotta beat tyrannids so i'll just pass that you know on to maybe manual or uh sheldon if either of you have any kind of closing thoughts on on cons to netlist yeah um i wanted to just springboard off what you said because you you posed it beautifully there um you need to build that muscle flex that muscle of how to build a list because you're going to have to continuously modify that list. And you don't want to be sitting there, how to play Tyranids now, how to play Tyranids February 2022. You don't want to keep searching for the new net list to try and adjust for the meta. And unless you're going to some giant major, which I mean, 60 or so people are going to go to, but there's a lot more than 60 people that play guilty, right? <laughs> the meta is not always going to be the same as what's showing up to LVO too. So you need to, you could take those netlists as inspiration, but you don't, your local tourney is not necessarily going to be the same as what this list was made for and the environment that it did well in. So taking those netlists as a good starting point, that's great, but it's also really important to know how to modify and know how to build and how to cut and how to kind of curate a list. And you can use a netlist as a starting point, but modify the heck out of it and not until it fits what you need to and need it to and when it doesn't work anymore because of shift in the packet that you're using or shift in new teams that are coming out or an faq that changed how x works or y works whatever um even if you start with a netlist i encourage you just to modify what you got to start that exercise yeah i think like when it comes to netlisting you know you have like that 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 first situation where you where you get the get the list and you're brand new and you get that that hot list off of the internet that's that's when you're learning the rules but then using the rules is when you're actually building your own and creating like some sort of you know net list for other people you know that sort of thing <laughs> master that's of funny. segues here yes that's exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> is that it's like you know you eventually begin to create the net lists if you uh, if you are the creator of you know little memes and little things trying things out if you're not a net lister a lot of times you're who creates the eventual net lists as, as weird as that is ideally um, yeah well I mean just because you're the one experimenting it, it's amazing how few people and big hammer or kill team build their own lists you know um, that's why you get these people who are like, oh, my faction was good in the early days. It's like, yeah, you know, Kronos shooting Tyranids in ninth is the way to play Tyranids. And I'm like, you know, bringing in Colt Soup and, and they're, you know, doing Deep Strike. It's a whole other hive mind, like all this kind of stuff. 
that's kind of what you want to be doing. You know, you are not stuck as the meta evolves with a single list that used to be good, but then this came out, hopefully, if you're able to create, you know, and, and then, like I said, eventually, if you're creating lists, you create net lists a lot of times um, as, as time goes on. You know, usually there's there's a word spam in there. At least it was last edition, like pink spam or whatever. Um, they, they took care of that with the rules. Yes, yes, thank God. <laughs> but then they, they gave us gene stealer spam, right? Which which everyone was like in the early days, like, oh my God. Oh, that's, that's so right, OP. 10 gene stealers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> so any other thoughts on cons, anything before we move on? That was a really uh, good segue. I, I kind of had two things like to use that segue for right yeah now we're back oh, to netlist really... good job beer and just kidding okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i think well, uh... the summary is of uh, what you just said uh chris is that you either netlist or live long enough to be the netlister right? <laughs> <laughs> yes so you know that's kind of you know the time we have left uh let's talk about kind of separating good players from the great ones, making the transition from knowing the rules to using the rules. And Emmanuel, you're one of the best that I've seen at this. So mm -hmm. I was hoping maybe you would kind of jump off on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this this is kind of my baby and how I teach people and how I motivate them to um, keep pushing through the growing pains of Kill Team. Because countless times I, I get these kind of exacerbated sighs of just like, ah, line of sight. You know, it's just, it's, I can't wrap my head around it. And all I'm doing is all these mental gymnastics just to figure out if I can shoot someone or not. And I say, good, good, do those mental gymnastics, right? It, it's so important to understand the rules, but eventually you see the code. You, you become Cypher from the Matrix, blonde, <laughs> brunette, you know? You, you're seeing just the modifiers on the board and the yes, no clauses all over the board and you distill the game down into the mechanics and how they benefit you. And I have two, two examples for this to kind of help understand what I mean by using the rules. Um, one example is positioning and line of sight. That's an obvious headache for a lot of players and GW knew that because not only did they give us two pages for line of sight, <laughs> but they made them a completely different color so that way when you flip through the book the black pages pop right out at your all the white <laughs> pages so like ah no that's where it is that's what i need to read again but <laughs> but i digress um learning line of sight is hard learning the rules to just be able to function it's hard and I, alex and i did a whole video dedicated just to line of sight because we recognize it's hard and i think we even miffed up a couple things in that video <laughs> thinking that we had it nailed down but i dig i digress again but um using that rule to your benefit is what makes a good player great because a good player says okay i'm going to position myself here so i can shoot you great but a great player is going to say okay i'm positioning myself here to screen out this side of the board so i have obscuring from this over here and then i have light cover over from this angle so i have um at least a benefit to be shot at from here but now that i'm engaged i'm going to be shooting at you from like there all of this is buzzing around in their brain and they're using the rules not to allow them to shoot but to manipulate the entire board state around this one action to gain benefits for themselves while also detriments to you. And this, you're seeing a lot of this when people bring up examples of shooting, um, shooting one-way mirrors, where 
I can see you with line of sight rules, but you can't see me setting up these scenarios with differential base sizes. And it's very complex. I can't talk about it in audio. I can barely put it in a video. It's something that you really have to show someone on the table how it really works. But using the rules to your advantage instead of just as a mechanic to get through the game is a big step to um, getting to that great status. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, I think that this is the true skill ceiling of the game um, of like where you want to be increasing probably the most. I think it's some of the most uh, important things to work on because like we saw last edition, like Micromancer, for example, came out of nowhere. He was this, you know, guy from Canada. He was in nobody's local meta and uh, just showed up when we were playing TTS and he just had his fundamentals so down with, you know, pile-ins and consolidates of last ed, toes and cover and things. And it, it just, you know, he was running circles around people that had been doing this for, for a couple years at that point. And um, so, yeah, I think that there's just, that is kind of what determines your level as a player is, are you able to use the rules? You know, if, if you've got people saying, you can't do that, wait, can you do that? And then <laughs> finding out, yes, you can, you're going to be winning games. Si and, se puede. Huh? <laughs> Nothing. Bad oh, joke. Okay. Continue. <laughs> uh, that was that was my Tom LaRochelle impersonation. Oh, no. um, but I would just say, in this game, you know, just a thought on this. Uh, I believe the master stroke is smaller. It's less obvious than it was last edition. Um, what do you mean by that? I mean, last edition, you'd pop this like, um, for example, I knew that there was a big charge coming. Pop um, decisive move pop the Tyranid Tactic to fly and I charge a guy that I don't even care about being in melee, but what I did is I got behind him and he was in a doorway. So I got behind a guy who did not matter into a guy in a doorway so the charger now had no viable charges and just totally shut down what he was doing. It was a, oh, because we had a lot of guys on you know, watching <laughs> in, the, in the you know thing at the time. It was a really cool thing. Whereas this edition, I feel that it is more subtle. I feel that somebody who is watching, who is uninitiated, may not see the master stroke, may not see what this guy just did by moving a millimeter to the side or something to that mm -hmm. effect. Yeah, I yeah, like agree. I, th I think like a good example of that would be like the uh, the placing the barricades. You know, it seems like such a simple thing. You know, oh, I'm just gonna put this down. Your first thought is, oh, I'm trying to like block my guy from your guy. But um, you know, one thing I saw that I thought like changed my whole perspective was you know putting the barricade sideways so that it lengthens the movement someone would have going down a hallway you know because it's longer one way than another way and it it could create a bigger obstacle where it takes more of your movement and it's like it's like one of those little things like oh yeah sure the rule for placing barricades is pretty simple but there are so many different little nuances and complexities that you can kind of pull out of something so simple you know when you really kind of dig into it yeah, suddenly they need five inches um, or um, let me see if I could do this easily uh, circle square yeah, they need circle square to uh, to clear that barricade from one side to the opposite side touching to touching rather than just uh, square so you, you really maximize how much of a barrier gap you get by just doing a simple thing like that and that's exactly using the rules yeah, and if you put like a horizontal, or no, this would be vertical barricade between you and the opponent, and you have a guy whose base is butted up on there, 
you'd be amazed how hard it is for them to shoot and how far to the flanks they have to move to be able to get mm -hmm. a full base um, shot on that guy. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, that was my first example of just kind of using rules like line of sight, right? But the the second, and this is like the 4D chess move of using the rules, is using your opponent's rules. Oh, yeah. For yourself. Um, perfect example. Knowing their tactics, knowing their abilities, and knowing their order. So, like with Vet Guard, you know that they can get... Um, they can get an extra one inch to their movement with move, move, move. Say you want to try and burn your opponent's CP and you want to, this, you're going to like this, Chris, you want to set up a honeypot situation for them, <laughs> right? Um, you want to put someone in a position that is really tasty for them to try and go after, but you don't care if that model dies. Your goal is to get them to get distracted by that. Putting that model just barely out of charge range of their one of their melee models, like their hardened veteran, right? Um, that hardened veteran could then potentially get a move, move, move. A comms guy could boost that to get to the veteran. So he's like, aha, I got him just within charge range now and I could charge him. And you're like, okay, great. Now that my rocket guy comes out and just blasts your hardened veteran out of the out of the water, right? That <laughs> you kind of set up that trap and you 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 set up that situation to put your put your opponent at a severe disadvantage because you coax them out to malposition by putting a tasty situation out there for them and knowing their rules knowing how much they would have to waste to commit to that they either don't and your guy's fine where he is or they do and they kind of fall into that trap for you and now they're one cp behind and now their comms guy is um not one cp one apl behind for their comms guy to um to now he can't move onto a point or something like that. What this you have to like kind of suspend a little bit of disbelief to <laughs> imagine that this comms guy losing an APL to uh, to accomplish this or one of their action points to accomplish this is is beneficial. But knowing their rules and knowing how to kind of manipulate their rules uh, super helpful in that situation as well. Yeah, I think it's it's something that actually comes up uh, real world. Like if you look at, for example, Harlequins, right? It's just this is so common. Like this, that's why it's such a good topic because it comes up so often. Like uh, Harlequins, for example, if you don't take any shooting, um, they no longer have to use that CP for Domino Field, and they just get revved up to eleven at that point, right? So even having shooting on the board, so you're forcing them to now proc that. Uh, you know, having such a elite, small kind of team, uh, I think is really important. So, you know, just kind of bouncing off what you said, I think yeah. knowing the opponent rules and stuff is, is a key thing. Yeah, because you might be sitting there saying, it's like, well, I mean, they're just going to get in melee with me anyway, eventually. So I should just bring my best melee guys. And then knowing that rule, just like you said, I completely agree. Yeah, and it's funny because you might end up knowing it a little bit better than the opponent. Like one thing I've noticed is even very skilled players when moving to a new faction or something like that or an addition change, anything like that, um, there's a tendency to kind of take some things for granted. And I know I'm very um, guilty of this myself. Um, it's like, you know, a few people just come to mind of like you'll be playing and it's like, uh, wait, what does that do again? And then you'll read it, you know, maybe a new team came out or something. And it's like, no, no, this is not as good as you thought, for example, or maybe it's even better than you thought <laughs> or something to the effect. So, you yeah. know, sometimes you might even know it better than your opponent does. 
Um, it, funny anecdote on that. I found out a week and a half ago that I've been using this shush uh, um, strategic ploy wrong. Um, I thought you had to be with a conceal and not within line of sight in order to get that free dash with commandos, but it's not within line of sight or concealed. So a lot of my barricade placements that were very defensive in order to give my guys conceal and cover in deployment zones in order for them to get their dash to get to where they wanted to do, I never ever had to do. So oh. it's <laughs> nice. it was kind of a nice stealth buff that I gave myself. And I, I taught Alex commandos by playing with Alex. So then I posted the tactic to Alex in, in, uh, in a DM and I said, I said we got buffed. He's like, "What? They when did the FAQ come out? What happens?" Like, "No, I just I just learned English and I learned how to read. I got a stealth buff." He's like, "Oh, cuz you needed to get better." Right. Yeah, man, commandos shaking my angry fist at him. Sometimes things can like come out of nowhere too, like being the guy last edition that was making all the like the FAQs and stuff. One of the things that like would come out is like someone would have a, a an interpretation of like the way that the rule was written that I couldn't even comprehend at first and then after a while you're like oh wow this is this is insane like one of the things um, was like the four corners of the board didn't necessarily have to be one two three four it could be like four slices and stuff like that when <laughs> oh, and like just the way that things were like were written it could be diagonal instead of straight on or something like that and it was like it came out at like after the edition was like already over it was like oh that was a whole different interpretation people could have been having this entire time you know like <laughs> wait so, rewind go back three years right let's start it all over again <laughs> absolutely so is there anything else that uh like be said on this uh on this topic no i think i think i think i made a pretty good point um on it just don't don't focus on playing the game to fulfill the rules. Always be looking to see what what more blood you could squeeze from the stone whenever you see a rule. Always look and say, well, what, what, can, what more can this do for me? Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of help learn. Because I said, just do this this whole time. It's like, yeah, just easy. Just use the <laughs> rules. It's easy. But I, I never actually said how to bridge that gap from good to great. And it's just by any anytime you encounter a rule, just think of like, well, what more can this do for me? Because oftentimes restrictions are just hidden, uh, hidden buffs. If you if you use them to place that restriction on your opponent instead of a restriction on yourself. Yeah, it's uh, it's no fun. To play a broken game, but it sure as heck is fun to bend things a little bit. Like, <laughs> just see what kind of shenanigans you can get up to, and and things like that. You might find something that was just, you know, because it's funny because we go, we were we were talking about building lists and stuff earlier. You might find something that is completely new to build around. I mean, mm -hmm. there has been things that were built around one interaction within the game. It could be like, oh, it's a save, or oh, it's you know piling in and consolidating and mm. a pre-round so move true. or whatever, last edition, something like that. So yeah, the piling and consolidate thing is what made uh, corn berserkers as strong as they were. Exactly. That one rule interaction for last edition. Hundred percent yeah. agree with you. And like I keep saying, you know, we don't have phases this edition. Um, there are quite a few tactics and things like that that are not tied to, you know, when a model shoots or something like that. It's just, you know, this is strategic ploy, whatever, or a, a tactical ploy. 
X, you know, do X for plus one APL, for example. It's like, whew, man, there's a lot of application to when and why you add that plus one APL to somebody. It can mean totally different things. It could mean extra shooting. It could mean fighting twice if you also have that. It could be you know, shoot, charge, fight. Um, taking control could, over a point. Exactly. Throw, you can be contesting. Throw an APL on someone who's already activated, and then that's going to persist until the next time they activate. Guess who suddenly has a bonus APL and took the point away that was previously contested? <gasps> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it could be a contest or it could be something that was contested and now suddenly you won't, right? That's, yeah. That's a very good example. 100%. And that can make massive swings. Yeah. So and true. Also, just knowing what is possible for you and, and where you're safe and stuff, right? Because something that you see a lot, again, you know, harp on the noobs, um, uh, is just uh, a nervousness that maybe doesn't need to be there. Um, that you can set up safety for yourself, things like that in some certain situations. Or maybe you don't have to be as worried as you think you are. Um, and also, knowing the rules and things like that, it helps you know when you're ahead. Helps you know, like, you know, what, what they're capable of. Uh, example being, if you wipe out a couple guys, you know they have to get to X thing. A simple thing about the rules, how many turns is the game? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, they're not going to be able to get there in one more turn. So maybe you don't give them something by presenting yourself, right? But it's, it's just right. the rule of the game. How many rounds is it? I've even looked at the boards. I mentioned that Gene Stealer thing earlier from SoCal Open last edition and how that wasn't applicable to open board. It's like, that's why, is this was built to the board, to doors and, and objectives. And thankfully, you know, you're not as able to play solitaire this edition, but understanding the rules and you know the, the fact is this is a 3d game we are playing on a board for our dice you know different way of, of thinking meta top down that's all rules and stuff to mess with too and see mm -hmm. if you can find something there's a whole book <laughs> a whole too book many books things. a lot of them it's breaking my back <laughs> yes yeah. that's that's the complaint i'm gonna have now gw stop giving us books you're giving me arthritis Yes. Yeah, digital, please. <laughs> back surgery from these cupbacks. Gib PDF. This is a kill team player. All the 40k yeah. players is like, bro, let me tell you about books. <laughs> yeah. I had to I rent had a, a library. <laughs> yeah. That's right. They're black got a, library. Got a hey. storage unit. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, continuing along this journey with us. The second episode of the Killzone podcast. We hope you enjoyed. This has been Bearded 40k. You can find me online at YouTube. I guess that's the place. YouTube.com forward slash Bearded40K. Come in and watch some videos about uh, this game we call Kill. And uh, I've been Emmanuel. You can find me and my, uh, my partner in crime, Alex, at Strategic Advantage on uh, YouTube. And you can look at all the nasty little orcs I paint on my Instagram, eman.paints. And I'm in a perpetual state of being Kill Team Stream. You can find me at killteamstream.com. And uh, yeah. You, you can find everything from there. <laughs> Just go looking. <laughs> Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Kill Zone Podcast. Your home for real talk for competitive kill team. Brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.